Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Man, thank y'all so much for entering into worship today. I know I say that a lot, but I really, really mean it from the bottom of my heart. Y'all bless my, y'all bless me when you sing to the Lord. I'm thankful for that so much. Thank you, thank you. So I got in my hands here an owner's manual for a 2014 Toyota Tacoma. I got it out of my glove box. Uh, Brought it in here today. This this book, you got one like it in your vehicle. You probably doesn't say 2014 Toyota Tacoma on it. It says something else, but this book will tell me how I'm supposed to run that that truck that I've had for a few years and got 168,000 miles on it, like something like that now. And I'm going to run that sucker till the wheels fall off. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, so this book will tell me how to operate that vehicle. Tell me how to start it up. Tell me how to drive it. Tell me how to operate it. If I have some trouble with it, there it'll tell me some stuff that I can do. If the battery's dead, if there's a light on on the dashboard, like right now my light is on, then I need to get my oil changed. And so i got to take it and get my oil changed to remind me of that. And so this book will tell me how to operate that vehicle safely, as long as I pay attention to these uh, instructions in here, safely, effectively, and it'll help, and I can help that vehicle to fulfill the purpose for which it was manufactured in some factory somewhere uh, years ago. And so this book right here, it contains, it's a lot of things. It's one book, but there's a bunch of books in this book. And in this book, is, uh, there's history, uh, there's poetry, there, is, there, there are True life, real life love stories, not like Hallmark movies. I mean, they're real, they're real. And uh, there's prophetic literature, there's, it's just, there's narrative, there's stories that are told, incredible stories that are told. This book contains all of those. So, but this book is also uh, the owner's manual for my life and your life. Here's the difference I own that truck outright i mean i don't have any i don't make payments on it it's mine i own it the bank doesn't own it i own that truck but god owns my life so this is his own he's the owner i'm the owner of that truck he's the owner of my life and so this is his manual for me on how i'm to live my life and if i will do that if i'll follow under the leadership and the prompting, the guidance of the Holy Spirit who is within me and within you, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I will, I will live a life that is effective, a life that is fulfilling, a life that brings honor to Him, a life that accomplishes the purpose for which I have been created, that we have been created. This is also the owner's manual for the church. The owner's manual for the church. Remember, we talked about the church last week. This is the owner's manual for the church, but there's a difference. I own that truck. God owns this church. God owns this church. I don't own this church. You don't own this church. God owns this church. So this is his owner's manual on how 
his church that he owns should be operated. And if we will follow his instructions in his owner's manual for his church, then this church will accomplish everything that God has for us. Everything that he has for us. We will be the church that God wants us to be, but the church that God expects us to be, but the church that according to his owner's manual requires for us to be. And we'll fulfill his purposes. We'll be effective. We will be, we'll be strong. We will be the church that he wants us to be because it's his church and he's given us the manual on how we're to run his church. And we'll fulfill the purposes that, he's, that he has for us. So what, what are our purposes as a church? Well, I mean, Jesus made that abundantly clear in the owner's manual. He made it abundantly clear on what we're supposed to do. And it can really be summed up very simply for those of us that are simple-minded. It's real simple. When a guy came to Jesus and he says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, all right, love God, love others. You get that? You got it. And that's it. As, a, as individuals, as individual children of God, yeah, that's, that's how we do it. But I'm telling you, it, corporately, as the body of Christ, known as First Baptist Church of Flora, that's just what we do. Because, y'all, if, we if we're loving God, then we're going to worship Him. And we're going to worship Him. We will be chomping at, if, you, if we're loving God, we will be chomping at the bits to get in here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights so we can join with other brothers and sisters in Christ to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who alone is worthy of our praise. If we love God, then we will worship Him. If we love God, then we will serve Him. We will be telling people about Him. We will be doing what the Word of God says and make disciples of all nations. We will do what He has called us to do. If we love Him, and then when we love others, that means we look around this room and we love the people in this room that means that we'll take care of each other. We'll fellowship together. When Matt says, y'all go say hello to some people, we'll hug necks and we'll shake hands and we'll high five and we'll fist bump and all that kind of stuff. We'll do that and we call that fellowship and it is a form of fellowship. But it's so much more than that. That when we love each other, that means when we are in the deepest, darkest valley we've ever been in in our lives, then there are going to be people who belong to the family of God who are going to come alongside us and say, Brother, I am with you right now. I'm here for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've messed this thing up. I am here for you. I will not abandon you. Sister, I don't care how bad things get in your life. I don't care how bad the sin is that you committed. I'm here with you and I love you and that is never going to change. And boy, and then when we're going to celebrate, when we get, when we got babies and when we got, we're having babies, we got, we got two families there. One going to have a baby, uh, probably tonight or tomorrow, another one in a couple of weeks. Man, we, y'all, y'all just birthing babies everywhere. And so we just, when people are celebrating having babies and when they're, good stuff's happening, they get promotions in their jobs and stuff, and we're going to celebrate with them. And man, when, when, when people give their lives to Christ, so you see, we just, we, we do, when we do what God tells us to do and we love God and love others, then individually we will do what we're supposed to do according to his owner's manual and corporately we'll do what we're supposed to do according to his owner's manual. And there's one thing that the word of God, the owner's manual, makes very clear to us when it comes to a New Testament church, this church, 
is that there are two offices in a New Testament church. There are two offices. And they are the office of elder or pastor and the office of deacon. You got those two. And so we come to the end of this sermon series. Why do we do that? This is what we've been doing for the last four weeks. It's our fourth week, and we're going to, uh, this is the end of it. We've talked about why do we do that? Why do we, why do, we do baptism? Why do we, why do we do baptism by immersion? Why do we do where you've got to go all the way under the water? Why do we do that? Why do we do the Lord's Supper like we're going to do today? And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Why do we do church membership? We talked about that last week. That what, is it really important that you are connected to a local body of believers? Yes, it is important. The New Testament makes that clear that that is important. It's one thing, yes, when you come know Christ you join the universal church the invisible church the body of Christ around the world but then you are supposed to connect with a visible local body of believers and and we talked about that and so today we're talking about these two offices why do we do that why do we have pastors and deacons in the church so grab your Bibles let's talk about that first Timothy chapter 3 first Timothy chapter 3 I hope you got your Bible with you if not you'll get it on your phone uh, Bible app if you got that or something or you can look on with somebody I hope you got your Bible but if not try to look on with somebody so we can read first Timothy chapter 3 uh, verses 1 through 13 stand up please and let's read this passage of scripture the saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to be, uh, desires to the office, uh, as, let me get that right. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. I knew that word desire was in there somewhere. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Woo. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold uh, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, will you help us now as your spirit speaks to us and teaches us and shows us how to apply this to our lives so that we might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So let's jump right into the application of this message because I've, I've got some stuff I want to do with you and then we're going to uh, end with the Lord's Supper today application for this message that you see there is deacons uh, pastors and deacons working together bring glory to God and growth to his church so that's what we're talking about today pastors and deacons working together bring glory to God and growth to his church now let's talk about this thing first thing I want to do is I want to do a word study with you now don't let that go oh man that sounds so <laughs> tedious or boring I, I, this this is so with this message this is critically important that you understand this because some words that you need to understand when you hear these words and that you'll understand what they're talking about when you read them in Scripture. 
Because you can take these three words, pastor, elder, and overseer, all three of those words in the New Testament are used interchangeably to talk about the same person, pastor, elder, overseer. So we better understand what those words say because they're different words, but they, they're talking about the same person. For instance, you look at the word pastor, the word pastor, poemonas, that's the Greek word poemonas, and it means shepherd. It literally means shepherd. So that's uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, and, and Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, in my Bible, I have that verse circled, and in the margin of my Bible, I have these words written, my job description. Over there in the office, in a file somewhere, in the personnel file, you personnel committee people, y'all came up with a job description that First Baptist Church Flora says I'm supposed to do to get a paycheck from this church. I need to do these things. And I'll do those things because those things line up with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Because Ephesians 4, verse 11 says that as the pastor, as the shepherd, and let me say this, I'm not the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd of this church. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd and i'm the under shepherd of this church and the word of god says that my job according to the word of god god's owner's manual says that my job the pastor the shepherd the under shepherd of this church is to equip you to go do the work of ministry and build up the body of christ and so that's what the pastor does that's what that word means the word pastor poemonas means Shepherd. In fact, it's the same word that Jesus said in John 10, 11, where he said, I am the good shepherd. I am, he's saying, I'm the good poemonus. I'm the good pastor. The, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So that's the first word. Second word is the word elder. You hear that word too, presbyteros. Presbyteros. Sounds like Presbyterian, doesn't it? Well, that's where that comes from. The word presbyteros, literally elders, literally can mean old man. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what you think when you hear elder. It literally can mean old man. You look at me with a gray beard, you go, talking about you. That's right. It, is, it can mean that. In, in Acts, chapter two, uh, verse, um, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, the prophecy of Joel said, Your old men shall dream dreams. Your presbyteros shall dream dreams. Same word. But when it talks about the elders of the church in the New Testament church, the word means leader. The word means leader. Titus 1.5, Paul said, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. He said, you got to put some guys in place to get this place in order to lead the church and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.17, a couple of chapters over from what we read today, and said, let the elders, the presbyteros, let the elders who rule well, so there's a ruling aspect to an elder, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor, who work hard in preaching and teaching. So that's what the word elder means. And then we just saw in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the word overseer, episcopate. Sounds like Episcopalian, doesn't it? That's where we get that word from. Episcope, it's the office, again, it's an office of church leader. It's not, sometimes it's called bishop. 
That's not a word that we Baptists use very often. If some of you come from a Methodist background, you know that you, they have bishops over different districts and things like that, but that's not something that we do in Baptist uh, uh, belief systems. But 1 Timothy 3.1 right there says that, uh, that overseers, the, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, uh, he desires a noble task. So you see, I got three words that describe what, what, this, what this office is all about according to God's owner's manual. And then there's another word, another office, and the word is deacon, diakonos. And that word literally means a servant. It means someone who is entrusted to serve the needs of the believers. Now listen to this word. It's interesting to note that Jesus himself said in Mark 10, 45, he said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to diakoneo. So, so Jesus is basically saying, I'm coming to diakoneo. I'm coming to serve. So deacons have a great example of how to do this. Because the one and only Son of God said, I'm coming to do this thing of service, so watch me. And then serve like I'm serving. There it is right there in God's owner's manual. Jesus himself said, uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 8 says, Christ became a servant. That word literally says, Christ became a diacono, a deacon. Deacons, did you know that? Christ has set himself up as the very example for you to follow, as a servant. And then according to Jesus, listen to this for the rest of us. Well, I ain't a deacon. Hang on. Jesus said in Mark 10, 43, he says, Whoever wants to be great among you must become a servant, must become a diaconeo, must become a diakonos. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be a diakonos. You've got to be a deacon. Not the office of deacon, but you've got to serve. So that's the words. That, those are the words that we need to understand. Those, there's four words there. Pastor, elder, overseer for this office, and then one word, deacon, for the other office. So that's the word study. Let's do a work study. A work study. Now that we've defined the words, let's define the work. Pastor, elder, overseer. What am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> I mean, folks say, man, what do you do all week? I mean, you, you know, you preach on Sunday, but what else do you do all week? What are you supposed to do? Using the New Testament definitions of those words, according to God's owner's manual, what I'm supposed to do as pastor is, you can see when you look at this, that I have the joyful Serious responsibility of shepherding the members of this body of Christ. So what does a shepherd do? What's a shepherd do for sheep? He leads them. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. So shepherds lead sheep. Shepherds feed and care for the sheep. A good shepherd knew where all the good watering holes were for his sheep. He'd do his very best to make sure that those sheep didn't go without water, didn't go without food. Couldn't make them, couldn't make them eat, couldn't make them drink, but 
He'd take them to the places where they could feed and be nourished. Another thing a shepherd would do was he would protect them. He'd protect his sheep from predators, from thieves, from, from wild animals that would want to attack. And he'd protect. He'd protect his sheep because he cares about his sheep. He would fight for them. When the attack came, the shepherd would fight for his sheep. When attacks come to the sheep, the shepherd's going to fight for you. He corrects them. When they get off the path, he'd go out there with his staff and his rod, and if he needed to knock them upside the head and get them back on the path, he'd do that. Reach out there and get them and pull them back off. The danger of where they've gone, if they've gotten hurt, he'd take care of them, bind them up. That's what the shepherd would do for the sheep. He would sacrifice his life for them if necessary. He'd teach them and he would lead them. That's what shepherds do. What do deacons do? Let's do a work study of them. The office of deacon is an office, office of joyful, serious servanthood. Uh, it, the deacons provide logistical support. Material support so that the pastors can focus on the Word of God and on prayer. If there's anything that you expect your pastor to do is to pray for you and to preach the Word of God to you. And so the deacons provide the support so that pastors can be able to continue to do that. And so you see the title overseer. It makes it very clear that, that pastors have the responsibility for the the oversight, overseeing of the spiritual welfare of the church, the deacons then come alongside, and their ministry is not so much of an overseeing ministry. Their ministry is more of a service-oriented ministry. There are no specific, like the Word of God says, I have to preach, I have to teach, I have to pray, I have to fight for you, I have to protect you, I have to watch over your spiritual lives, I have to do that. It's very clear the tasks that the pastor has to do. It does not give clear listing of tasks that a deacon has to do this and this and this and this. It just says that deacons are to do whatever is necessary according to Acts chapter 6 where the first deacons were set apart. Do whatever is necessary to allow the pastors to accomplish their God-given calling of shepherding and teaching the church. So there's a lot of flexibility on what the specific duties of deacons can be. But I want to tell you this, that when godly pastors and godly deacons are working together, bro, that is a team that can get some stuff done. So that's what deacons, Mark Dever said, the concern of the deacons are the practical details of the church life. Administration, maintenance, the care of church members with physical needs, which leads to the last thing, the why study, the word study, those four words. The work study, what do they do and why? Again, why do we do that? Well, here's the question, here's the answer. Why do we have these two offices? Why do we have pastors and deacons? Well, first of all, it's because it's biblical. <laughs> I mean, the owner's manual says you're supposed to have pastors and deacons. So if we're going to do anything as a church, we're going to do, strive to do our very best to do what the Word of God says we're supposed to do, individually and as a church. And if the, if the Word of God says you've got to have pastors, then we're going to have pastors. If, we, if the Word of God says you've got to have deacons, then we're going to have deacons, and we're going to do it to the very best of our ability the way 
the Bible says for us to do it. To not do it that way sets us, self, sets us up for a world of trouble when we step off into disobedience. We're going to try hard not to do that. It's biblical. Number two, it's structural because it provides the framework for the ongoing work of the gospel for our church. It provides that structure. The church must, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do this so I can have job security, I mean, but I'm going to tell you, the church must have pastors, right? I mean, the Word of God says that. The church must have pastors to move the church forward in proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making disciples. You, when, when Joe Cole left, you knew, all right, we got to get another pastor, and so God in his sovereignty and providence and in your life and my life and your, the, this church's life and mine and Vicky's life, God said, okay, John Daniels will be the next pastor. And you said yes to that and I said yes to that. And here we are three years later. And when, when Ricky Blythe left before Joe got here, then you, that, at some point the church said, well, we got to get another pastor. And so you prayed and sought the Lord's guidance and direction and leadership and you you found Joe Cole, and Joe Cole found you, and y'all prayed and prayed, and then you said yes, and Joe Cole said yes. And so the church has to have pastors, and the church has to have deacons to support the work of those pastors and to provide help in so many different areas. So it's just this structural thing. And then it's functional, because we function properly as a New Testament church, when these two offices are functioning properly, when the pastors are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when the deacons are doing what they're supposed to be doing, then it, it, we are functioning properly. But there's a whole bunch of church, I will, churches, I will tell you, that are dysfunctional because they've gotten it messed up. And deacons are trying to do things that they ain't supposed to be doing, and pastors are doing things they ain't supposed to be doing, and the churches get in disarray and get messed up, and they get bogged down, and they're not doing the work that God's called them to do and not accomplishing the Great Commission because they're not doing it the way God says to do it. But I will tell you this, when a church is functioning the way that God has set it up to function, that church will grow spiritually, and most of the time that church will grow numerically when you're doing it right. When you're doing it right. It's just, it's, it's just functional. And then finally, it's needful. It's needful. Why do we have pastors and deacons? Because it's needful. The members of this church, you and I, we need the teaching and the prayer and the spiritual oversight of pastors. And the members of this church need the servant ministry of deacons. And deacons need their pastors to help them stay focused on the Lord and on His plan for their lives. And then pastors need godly deacons who are strong in their walk helping the pastor. Have you ever thought about this? I promise I'm not trying to have a pity party here, but have you ever asked yourself this question? I wonder who pastors the pastor. Who is the pastor to the pastor? You ever thought about that? Who's my pastor? Me? <laughs> Am I my pastor? Uh, well, I'll tell you something. One of the roles that the deacons in this church serve is that they help me in my walk with the Lord. I mean, 
I have to have I have to have these deacons in this church who are praying for me and listening to me and and helping me. I, I, I regularly tell the deacons of this if you're an ordained deacon in this church, whether you're serving as a serving deacon or a ministering deacon right now, if you're an ordained deacon in this church, would you stand up right now? I want, I want folks to be able to see who they are. Stand up. Come on, guys, stand up. Be proud of it. <laughs> don't tell me. Oh, if I have to. All right, so see, these guys right here, these guys are servants in this church. Thanks, guys. Y'all can be seated. And I count on these guys. I regularly tell them, you are my go-to guys. You are my go-to guys. Go-to for support. Go-to for help. Go-to for counsel. Go-to for prayer. Man, when these, some of these guys show up in my office, when, cause can I tell you something? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to be y'all's pastor. You know what I'm saying? There are times it ain't easy. I love being your pastor, but sometimes it's hard. I mean, to have godly men, deacons who show up in my office and go, hey, we want to pray for you right now. I mean, I'm ready to attack hell with a water pistol after those guys come and pray for me like that. It's, it's needful. I need these guys. You need them. So, all right, let me, we got to do the Lord's Supper. So, uh, so what if you're thinking right now, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a deacon, this sermon doesn't even apply to me. Wrong. Listen to this. Number one, go to that next slide, please. Assurance of our calling. Every one of us need to have assurance of our calling. Now, I'm assured of my calling as a child of God, but I'm assured of my calling as a pastor. I'm assured of my calling at this point in my life to be the pastor of this body of believers. I have the assurance of that calling. Believe that with all of my heart. But let me tell you something. And the guys that serve as deacons are assured. If, they, if they're not assured of it, they need to come tell me because they don't need to be serving because they're serving in one of the two New Testament offices in this church. But they better be just as called to be a deacon as I am called to be the pastor. But there's more to calling than just called to these kind of things. We're all called to belong to Jesus. And so every one of us need today, especially even today before we come to the Lord's table, you need to be assured of your calling to have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That Christ has called you by the power of the Holy Spirit to say yes to Jesus and to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He calls you to be a child of God. Before he calls you to be a pastor, before he calls you to deacon or anything else, he calls you and me to be a child of God. Do you have the assurance today of your calling to be a child of God. If you don't, then would you give your life to Christ today? And the second thing is this, with assurance of our calling and then commitment to our tasks. I'm committed to being the pastor of your church, of this church. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to preaching. I'm committed to teaching. I'm committed to praying for you. I'm committed to these things. I'm joyfully committed to them. It's not a drudgery. I'm committed to them. These deacons are committed to committed to serving you and they're learning more and more about what that means and they're becoming even more committed to that but all of us children of God all of us are called to the task of witnessing to people about their relationship with Jesus and telling lost folks about Christ I'm under such conviction this morning and my 
office where I came to church this morning. I was in my office about 7 o'clock this morning. I was praying for y'all, praying through this, looking things. And, and I knew I was going to say this to you today, and I got under such conviction about it. I knew I was going to tell you that you need to be telling people about Jesus. That's all of our tasks. We've got to be committed to that. And I got under such conviction this morning that i got to do a better job of that. You remember last week I told you that being a member of a church brings accountability? Well, I told the 830 groups, so I may as well tell you all to, to make myself accountable to you. Because I felt led this morning, I feel like the Lord told me that I need to do my best to try to share the gospel with at least one person every week for the rest of this year, and if the Lord gives me more years, but right now, to share the gospel with at least one person every week. That's a pretty small thing, really, to be honest with you. We ought to be doing it every day, shouldn't we? But you now have the opportunity and the responsibility and the, account of the, the, the right to say, when you see me Wednesday and when you see me next Sunday, go, hey, did you tell anybody about Jesus this week? I would welcome that. Can I tell you something? Be ready for me to turn the question back around to you too, all right? But we all got that task to tell people about Jesus. We all have the task of making disciples. You ought to be discipling somebody in their walk with the Lord. So see, whether you're a deacon, pastor, or a child of God, whatever, we got the same task, commitment to the task. And finally, the last thing is this, joy in our lives. Man, let me tell you something. Man, I love being y'all's pastor. I, told, I tell you this all the time. And I hope y'all don't think it's just I'm trying to make brandy points with y'all. It ain't that at all. I don't care about brandy points. You like me, you like me, fine. If you don't like me, fine, too. That's fine. I'm not trying to make brownie points. I just love being your pastor. I love being a pastor, and I love being your pastor. But I do not find my joy in being your pastor. Because just like I tell you, sometimes it ain't easy. I don't, my joy does not come from being your pastor. My joy comes from my relationship with the Lord. These deacons love being your deacons, but their joy does not come from being a deacon in this church. They, their joy comes from their relationship with the Lord. Our joy is not based on our circumstances. If it is, you're not going to be in a constant roller coaster. Our joy comes from the Lord and a personal relationship with Jesus. So you see, deacon, pastor, church member, whatever, we all need to have the assurance of our calling. We all need to be committed to the task that God's given to us, and we all need to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts and lives and live in that joy constantly. We're about to have the invitation, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper and be finished up this, uh, this morning. But I want to offer the invitation for you. You know, before we come and take the Lord's Supper together, the only people that get to take the Lord's Supper are people that know Jesus. You have to be a member of the church. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to be a member of the church, the body of Christ. So I invite you today, if you need Jesus, to come to Him and be saved today. Or maybe there's other decisions that you need to make. Come join the church, whatever it might be. Rededication, recommitment of your life. You're in some sin that you need to repent of before we take the Lord's Supper. The Bible says you need to examine yourself before we do this. So you need to be doing some examination right now, some internal examination. See if there's anything in your life that shouldn't be there. You want to come talk to me about it? Come down here and get on your knees. But we're going to take an, have an invitation, then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray together. Help us now, Father to listen to you and to respond in obedience. If there are decisions that we need to make today, Lord, help us to do this now for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.